Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Each week, we invite authors, mentors, friends of ours who have an inspiring message, who are living their life well. And so our goal is to learn and grow, and we want to invite you to do the exact same thing with us. So hope you're ready. Let's dive right in. On today's episode, we're welcoming back best-selling author, professor, and leader in the missional church movement, Mike Frost. Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> Today, Mike is unpacking the life-changing power of memorizing scripture, as in not just staring at it on our screen or on the page, but actually getting it into our brain, into our bones. Well, that's like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's good. Now... If you're new to the show, uh, make sure you go back to episode 46, where we dive deeper into Mike's story and the five Bell's habits of living your life on mission. But on today's episode, Mike shares with us the benefits behind the lost art of memorizing scripture. Come on. It's not just for your grandma. It's not just (laughs) for your grandma. He talks about how meditating on the truth can shape our outlook on the way we see the world. Yeah, it was really fun to chat with Mike about this because we threw him some hardballs and we actually were like, okay, what scriptures have you memorized? And he... He didn't say one. No. (laughs) No, he was ready. He He had had plenty that he had memorized using the techniques that he outlined in his book. And he gave us some specific scriptures that would be particularly helpful in these crazy times that we're living in right now. Screens bring us everything from, you know, Netflix to email to Zoom to you name it, including the Bible. And I'm concerned to the degree to which the Bible could just become another screen-mediated resource, as distinct from me taking scripture into my soul, me memorizing the scriptures and actually allowing them to shape part of who I am and uh, my, my imagination in many respects. Mike truly is one of our favorite humans, and it's so great to have a conversation with him. And it doesn't hurt that he's got this fun Australian accent. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Mike as much as we did. Let's dive right in. All right, Mike. Well, it is an honor, as always, to have you with us again. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, it's my pleasure. It's always good to talk with you guys. Yeah. So for those of you who are not familiar with Mike, make sure you go back and listen to episode 46, where we got to um, talk with Mike before and hear his story of kind of how he came to be a part of the missional church movement. I loved that conversation. Mike, just for the record, it was our favorite one. (laughs) (laughs) You say that to everyone. Exactly. (laughs) He's a charmer. (laughs) But last time we talked about these five essential habits that you developed for living on mission, the, what you called the Bell's Method. So before we dive into the sixth habit that you've added in your latest book, for our listeners who are new, would you just give us a brief overview of kind of the Bell's Habits? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, they came out of a uh, faith community that I was part of. We were, um, initially we were looking at kind of developing one of the uh, the values. A lot, of, a lot of churches do that. They develop mission statements and then what are the values of the church and the like. And it just felt it was like, yeah, we could come up with a whole bunch of good statements about the things that we value. But really, what is it that we do? Like, what makes us who we are? And so we ended up developing rather than a values, a list of value statements, but instead a list of habits or practices. So we ended up saying, well, look, if you belong at this community, if you belong with this church, 
you don't necessarily have to value this or value that. Here's what you need to do. And we come up with these five habits. You need to bless others. You need to eat with others. You need to listen or be in, in communion with the Holy Spirit. You need to learn Christ and shape your life around him. And you need to be sent and to journal all the ways that you're mirroring the work of God in the world. So it's, it's bells, bless, eat, listen, learn, and be sent. And those practices became rhythms that we lived our lives around. And the interesting thing about them is that when you live out practices like that, the values follow. So if I could convince you to bless three people every week, you would become like a generous person, like an outward-oriented person. If I could convince you to eat with three people every week, you'd become a hospitable person. If I convince you to learn the Holy, listen to the Holy Spirit, you become spirit-led, to learn Christ, you become more Christ-like, and to journal all the ways that you're sent, you'd start to see yourself as a missionary or as a sent one. So in a way, we could have put up a value statement that said we are a generous, hospitable, spirit-led, Christ-like community of missionaries. And I reckon everyone would have thought that was great. You could put a poster in the in the foyer of the church and that's who we are. But no one would know, well, what do you do about that? So we just jumped the values and went straight to the practices. And living out those practices unleashes the values anyway. And, you know, that was our faith community. We did that, I think, gosh, that was close to... 15 or more years ago we did that and then I wrote it up in a book which we talked about last time and I've been amazed by how many uh, churches all around the world are now doing this bells thing like just learn to bless others eat with others connect with the spirit follow Jesus and be a missionary yeah that's that's cool what what are some of the stories that maybe you've heard come out of it I mean I'm sure there's a bunch of different uh expressions of faith kind of you know obviously folks here on Christ this is kind of played out with different churches so there's some neat stories that you've heard there and and what does that sound like yeah I think well the thing that I've heard quite often is that lots of people say oh thank goodness I just wanted to learn how to do something you know it's like the fact is now lots of churches already have habits or expected practices so you're expected if you belong in a church to attend on Sundays you know I mean and, and if you don't you know over a period of weeks well the church will look in on you it's like a, an indication that you're not okay so attendance on a, on a Sunday is a is a habit and tithing in churches is considered a habit maybe Bible reading or prayer or attending a home group, you know, there are these expected practices. All churches have them. So it's not like I've come up with something, you know, unique there. That's that's just church life, belonging to a community of believers. But my question to people always was, how many of the expected practices, not the added extras, but how many of the core behaviours that I should embrace to belong at your church, how many of them propel me outwards into the lives of people outside the church. And most people look at me blankly and say, yeah, (laughs) like they're all designed so I connect more deeply with God. That's great. And I connect more deeply with other believers. And that's great too. But what kind of practices propel you out to bless your neighbours, to eat with your neighbours, to see yourself as a sent one? The thing I like about the five habits is that they do connect you more deeply to God because you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you're learning about Jesus. And they do connect you more deeply with other believers because you'll be blessing them and eating with them. But one of the requirements we always put on it was you should 
bless at least one person who doesn't belong to a church and you should eat with at least one person who doesn't belong to a church. Um, so also the sent one, the last one, you should look at what your work and your daily behaviours in your neighbourhood, in what ways do they look like the work of God in the world? So these habits do connect you to other believers and with God and propel you outwards in into the world. And so I think that was one of the things that kind of really just resonated with people. It's like, yeah, no, that's right. It's almost, I'm expected to attend church and tithe and be in a home group, but there's no, no one checks in on me whether I've blessed my neighbours or I'm eating with someone from work. Like no one ever asks me about that. So I think people have valued it because it's doable. It's not another thing you've got to add to your schedule. We all eat three times every day anyway. Don't add another meal. Just bring someone to the table with you. Blessing people can be a big deal. It could be you buy a big gift or you do a big favour to somebody. But it could just be a simple little thing. It could be a word of affirmation. It's something that we can just put into the normal rhythms of our lives uh, but it's about like following the mission of God in the world. Love it. Perfect. Well, these five habits were pretty awesome, but you kind of stumbled, uh, stumbled across, but I guess, you know, uncovered the sixth habit, which is what this brand new project is that you're, you're jumping into now and it's getting ready to launch. Take a second. Tell us all about it. Okay. So uh, it seemed to me as though, and I've co-authored this book that you're referring to. So uh, credit to my co-author, Graham Joseph Hill as well. It felt to us as though, yeah, those habits were going really well and people were, lots of churches all around the world, in fact, are connecting to it. But we felt as though it would be easy to live those things out and in a way kind of overlook the really important aspect of kind of marinating or soaking your spirit in the word of God. I mean, one of the habits is to learn Christ. And that, that requirement is that you read the gospels, you read about Jesus, you learn the story of Jesus. So that's scripture, of course, but there's so much of the scriptures that could be overlooked if that was the case. And sometimes I got some feedback to that effect, but that's not the main motivation. The main motivation was that I just kept reading about all these extraordinary missionaries and activists and people committed to social justice and evangelism and to engaging in the world and changing culture and changing history who had made the memorization of scripture like, like an essential habit of their lives and I don't know about you guys but maybe and I don't know if you've had any any uh or been affected or touched by this in any way but mainly we think about our dads or our grandmothers like memorizing bible passages and having little little memory cards and those kinds of things and mm -hmm. I think people look at it and think oh it's nice it was a sweet thing that they used to do back in the day but I'm trying to bring it back and say, what would it look like if we learned scripture, memorized it, marinated our kind of souls and imaginations in it? And the other thing that I wanted to, to throw in was a lot of passages that Christians tend to gravitate to are ones which are, for want of a better word, more devotional kinds of passages. Passages like, you know, I know the the plans that you have for me, God, or be courageous, or, you know, the, the ones that kind of affirm God's presence or love or interest in us. And don't see me, they're important passages, but they are the most searched for passages on New Version or Bible Gateway. I mean, 
they're the passages Christians go to, ones which affirm that we're loved and that God cares for us. But I fear that we're overlooking all the passages that call us to actually be committed to God's vision for a just world or to commit to reconciliation, uh, to peacemaking, to the extraordinary work of impacting culture and of changing the world. So we ended up developing a Bible memorization uh, scheme based around those uh, five uh, habits or practices. So, yeah, you are going to be a generous uh, person, if you're going to bless people, here's some Bible passages that you can uh, memorize to kind of sustain and shape that. Here's some passages around what it means to be a generous, hospitable uh, person who, who feeds the poor and cares for those who are in need, and, and so on and so forth. So running through those five habits I mentioned before, we've linked passages to each of those and then developed a system for how you can memorize those, those passages. Yeah, that's so good. I, I love that you're bringing that back. It's so huge. Um, and I think you're right. We all hear it at first and go, oh, yeah, that's something nice I you know, did when I was a kid or that my parents do. But we forget how important it is to soak mm-hmm. ourselves in that truth. But I would say, you know, we live in a day and age where most of us have the Bible in digital form right in the palm of our hands, right? So what would you say to someone who would argue, why do I need to memorize scripture when I can just look up any verse I need at any time? Oh, that's a great question. That, that's actually the best question because, yeah, Bible memorization tended to be pitched back in the day, like what if you don't have your Bible with you? Or I mean, people would tell stories about Russian Christians being in prison and not having a Bible, but they'd memorized it so they still had it. You know, those kinds of stories, which were all very inspiring and the like. But uh, even back in the day when the only Bible you had was a hard copy one, you know, most Americans could get access to one. But as you've just pointed out, all the more so, we've all pretty much got a Bible in our pocket all the time now in digital form on, on our phone. So, yeah, good point. You don't need to memorise the Bible so that you've got access to it. You've got access to it thanks to technology. The point that we make about it is that there is actually something significant about rewiring your thinking through the process of memorization. And actually, it's not necessarily just Christian teaching that says this. In researching this book, I came across so many people who are in the humanities, they're poets or they're teachers of, of, uh, you know, English literature and and literature studies generally, uh, who say, actually we're missing out by not memorizing poetry or not memorizing uh, important passages of plays or you know shakespeare or, or great novels and the like and one of the ways that uh, memorization helps is it's like we take words off a screen and we soak them into our not just our brain chemistry but into our bones and our souls in a way now there are secular people talking about how poetry can do that All the more I would have thought that we Christians would say, well, we consider this to be the word of God. I mean, it's not just a great story or a great novel or a great poem. It's actually God's words to us. So taking them in, taking them off the screen, all the more I think is important to us today because we're so screen obsessed and so screen focused. It's screens bring us everything from, you know, Netflix to email to Zoom to you name it, including the Bible. And I'm concerned to the degree to which the Bible could just become another screen-mediated resource, as distinct from me 
taking scripture into my soul, me memorizing the scriptures and actually allowing them to shape part of who I am and uh, my, my imagination in many respects. That's so good. All right. So I'm, I'm probably one of those weak sauce players out here who need to get better at memorization. <laughs> so uh, help a brother this out. This is a safe place. Yeah, this is place. a safe place right here. Um, <laughs> where do we start, man? You know, what, what, what advice or practices or just a practical next step for somebody who's, who's saying, okay, I want, I want to dive into this. Where do you encourage them to start? Well, the way we start with the book is to say, you know, it's important for us to um, – to start to recover the importance of scripture for the whole of the community. So, you know, don't just read sections of scripture that reinforce your existing thinking. Lots of people do that. I mean, I had a social media conversation with someone I was talking about justice and they were like, hold on, hold on. Where in the Bible does it say that we should be committed to justice? And so I just rattled off like three or four passages. And then he wrote back like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Good. That just checking. And I was like, yeah, you needed to check because you're not reading those sections of the scripture. No offense to him. And say so we locate ourselves in certain parts of the Bible. So part of it is to be forced into kind of broader reading. Um, recognize the gospel is more than just about my personal salvation, which is why lots of our favorite verses are about God's personal love for us, but also start to recognize the gospel actually is holistic. It is actually about God's whole plan for the universe, the planet, and everyone on it. And uh, it's not just about me escaping this world and going to heaven. It's about whole of life application of what it means to recognize the kingship of Jesus. So recognizing that, reading broadly, and then developing a scheme of what it looks like to memorize all of those passages in ways that kind of become useful to you. In the way I say before, take into your soul. So I mean, we've got tips in the book about how to use kind of meditation techniques, uh, Christian meditation techniques to bring scripture into your heart, uh, techniques for using monomics, I can never say this word, monomics for how to memorize passages. So uh, bells for, is, exa- is an example of a, a, a thing like that where, you know, each of the letters kind of uh, adds up to something. There's all sorts of ways you can learn scripture that way. Uh, start to learn narratives of scripture. They're easier to learn in some respects. Uh, There's a whole stack of techniques for ways in which you can make those kind of creative links between scripture and your world as you're memorizing uh, these passages. That's really good. So Mike, tell us what are some specific scriptures like you talked about? What do you recommend memorizing to start with that would be particularly helpful during the crazy time that we're all in? as a culture? Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. Um, look, there's classic ones like Amos 5, 24, that justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. I mean, a lot of people know that one anyway. There's a kind of a rhythm to that. It has kind of real resonance in American culture. Or another very well-known one that's you probably know, but you haven't fully memorized, which is Micah 6, 8. He has shown you what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Passages like that are kind of, you already have them in a sense in you. And so just memorizing them so you've got the actual words right is a nice, easy way 
to start. Well, and then you can move all the way up to big, longer passages like, you know, 1 Corinthians 1, where Paul says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption like passages like that just reinforce god's magnificent plan for all of creation it's not just he lives in my heart he has a redemptive plan for everything even to the lowest kinds of things learning passages like that actually kind of as i said they become kind of ways of looking at the world not just passages to use when you're having an argument or a discussion with someone about scripture that's good. You know, you mentioned uh, having a social media conversation, you know, for anybody out there watching that hasn't followed you, uh, you're, <laughs> you're a great follow. <laughs> and man, I tell you what, some of the conversations and the voice that you, you are, and I mean, I want to be serious for a second. I think for Jenny and I, we've really watched you for a, actually a while now and, and really just have kind of championed who you are and the fact that you're unafraid to stand up for, you know, what the word says and what Christ says, even when it's not necessarily popular in the popular opinion of the church. And so I guess, you know, the question I want to ask is when you're sitting here and you're just, you're looking at what's happened, maybe you could put on your prophetic hat. What do you feel like is the next big step for the church? And I know you're in Australia, but you know, I mean, obviously our context, the American church, I know you're over here quite a bit or were before the pandemic, but um Love to hear your voice on on where the church needs to, to step and step into and um, be that voice of justice and grace and love and truth and um, redemption in our culture today. Yeah, well, I think the biggest challenge, and not just in America, but in my country as well, is for the church to remove itself from party politics and the classic left-right binary. It's just crushing. It's killing. So that if anybody says anything about justice, oh, they're on the left. Uh, If anyone says anything about abortion or evangelism, oh, they're on the right. And I just keep saying, no, I'm not. I'm not on the left. I'm not on the right. I mean, I'm sure people are convinced I'm I'm on one side or the other. But and, and, And this is not to discount the fact that, you know, you may choose to you know, vote for whichever candidates you choose to vote for. I'm not quite so Anabaptist as to say, like, oh, to step out of the whole political process altogether. You know, as a citizen, I contribute to society. And one of the ways I do that in a liberal democracy is I vote. But not to be slavishly aligned to either the left or the right in terms of party politics and to champion the values of the kingdom of God, which do include a commitment to the protection of life and the protection of the vulnerable and the feeding of the hungry. And and I also think do uh, call upon us to contribute to society in a way which might seek to unravel structures which keep people poor or keep people vulnerable. It's not simply enough that we as Christians should be generous and feed the poor if we know that there's a system which is keeping people poor part of what it is to be a follower of Christ would be to seek to unravel or change those that, that particular structure. It's not simply enough that, you know, back in the uh, the 1700s that we should evangelise uh, slaves on board slave trips, ships. It's also that we should, like William Wilberforce, say we need to actually unravel this evil enterprise. So that's part of the 
Christian tradition, just in the, the beginning, at the end of the 20th century, the beginning of the 21st century, we became so incredibly polarised around this so that you can't even talk about these things without people pigeonholing you in order to silence you, not in order to hear you. So, yeah, I say one of the most important things is to continue, is to try really hard not to appear to simply be giving talking points for a particular party, but constantly going back to, no, 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 I'm saying this because the scripture says this. I'm saying this because Jesus said that. I'm saying this because look at what Isaiah said, you know, the, the day of the Lord would be like totally continuing to root it in a biblical framework, not a political one. That's to say, not to say it doesn't have political implications, as I was saying before. I mean, we might need to actually engage in, in with politicians if we're seeking to champion a particular change in culture. Um, that's true. But I don't think we ought to be beholden to the, to the party. Because I mean, right now, as you're seeing in your own country, I mean, there are people who said things two or four years ago that they're totally committed to then and totally flip within four years, you know, because it doesn't suit them politically. And I think Americans should rightly look at that and say, oh, come on, that's not honourable. No, it's honourable. It's party politics. That's the that's what party politics is all about. You do the best thing by the party no matter what. Well, what we as Christians would say is, no, 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 I'm not beholden to a party. I'm beholden to the kingdom of God. That's good. Well, thanks for sharing that, you know. Well, okay. So we, thank you so much for talking about this new project that you're working on. Um, we're going to sh- link to it in the show notes and all that. But before we leave, and I we want to respect your time, but we have three questions. It's been two years, so I'm sure they've all changed <laughs> for you. All the answers have changed for you. So we're going to rapid fire through them. The first one is this. What is a book that has changed your life? Uh, actually, I had, I had someone, someone asked me to write the five books that changed my life, and I submitted like eight or ten books. I can't. <laughs> It's hard. Um, it's really hard. It is hard. I think. Oh, look, I think books that change your life tend to be ones that you read at really decisive points earlier in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can read ones later, but uh, I would say uh, books like uh, Will Willimon and Stanley House's book um, *Resident Aliens* had a huge effect on me in understanding what the role of the church in it's kind of similar to the stuff we were talking about just then what the role of the church is in society. And it's not to participate in kind of standard politics. It's to actually be an alternative society, a whole new way of being human. I mean, that had a huge effect on me. Early in the piece, I kind of nearly gave up on ministry. And I remember reading a book called Transforming Mission and Witness to the World, those two books by David Bosch, which really gave me kind of my missional kind of framework. So, yeah, I'd say David Bosch's stuff really kind of saved me. Well, not saved me, saved me for ministry at least. So, yeah, that, those sort of books were really, uh, really important. Um, That's good. Yeah. Did you, did you have another one? I was, I was <laughs> I about to go I was about to go through all 10 of them that I wrote. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> question number two. Yeah. Um, okay. Question number two is what's a habit that's changed your life? I'd say the first two habits of the, uh, of that, the, the bells thing. And, and honestly, if I could just like magically hypnotize every Christian to just bless three people every week and eat with three people every week, mm. it changed the world. I mean, yeah forces you like you can't sit at a table with someone and not 
talk and share and open up to them. And you can't bless somebody without it ricocheting back. You don't do it for that reason. But blessing people, words of affirmation, uh, acts of kindness, gifts, people start to, they bounce back, they ricochet around the neighbourhood and you just get drawn out into the lives of others. Did you guys ever see that old um, Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man, where he has to say yes to every invitation oh, for, yeah. for, you know, a year or something and, like, his life is a wreck and his girlfriend's left him and he's, like, in a miserable job and he's got no friends and he goes to a self-help seminar and it's like, the self-help seminar guide just like, just say yes to every invitation or every question anyone asks. And it like totally changes his life. It's a dumb comedy, but I feel in some like blessing people and eating people is like that. Just do yeah. that and yeah. watch what that does to your life. That's so good. I, I remember hearing you say that, uh, I mean, it had to be 15 years ago now. And um, we were leading a college group at the time and, and we challenged our college group of, I don't know, a couple hundred kids to bless somebody every week and then come tell us about it the next week. And it was incredible how first all of us realized we weren't focused on that, you know, that we were focused a lot on experiencing God when we came together, but it really shifted our focus to the people around us throughout the week. And one of the biggest things that kids came back saying was um, the biggest way they blessed people was listening to them. I thought that was fascinating um that just the gift of stopping what you're doing and don't rush out just listen to someone is a huge way to bless them so actually really cool. Jay, I've, I've, my youngest daughter is a social worker and so she's i guess i mean she's probably wired this way because of us but also with her training like she's a professional listener i suppose and i remember when she was you know in her 20s she said really sadly she said you know something she said i, I think i'm quite skilled at listening but she said, hardly anyone ever asks you about you. And, and it was like, we were so heartbroken from it because it's kind of like, it's true. I just wish you didn't have to find out about that. But it is so rare mm -hmm. to actually be genuinely interested in you and ask you, you know, what books changed your life or what habits of, like, like just, just not in an interview like this, but like just over a meal table to show genuine interest in another. It's so rare that when people do it, like, you know, your students or my daughter or us, it's like, wow, it's just like water on parched earth. Yes, exactly. You should do seminars on it in churches, like how to have a conversation, how to listen to how to do active listening skill, how to just nod and smile. And like, I mean, they're not, it's not rocket science, but you know, we're doing Bible studies and listening to all these sermons, why not some seminars on just how to like be the focused? <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. There we go. That's your next book, Mike, is The oh Practice gosh. of Listening. <laughs> my, wife might, my wife might kill herself if I write a book on her. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. Third question. What advice would you give to the younger Mr. Mike Frost? Oh, uh, I think I would say it's good that you should be so passionate and so excited and so um, enthusiastic about the things that you're discovering. Um, but maybe you could just share about those things in a more kind and less abrasive kind of way. That's good advice to all of us.
I <laughs> like it. And I'd probably go back and sit my former self <laughs> right next to your yeah, former self it. and go, Mike, Tell them. Very cool. Okay, cool. Well, uh, where can people find you? You know, look the book up, all that good stuff. Yeah, I think you can look the book up at all the usual kind of online sellers that uh, that you might use. Um, I got a website which is mikefrost.net. So if they want to find me there, and there's also links on that site to all of my books, including this new one. Okay, perfect. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. As always, it was such an honor. That's great to meet you guys. You're the best looking podcasters in the world, I'm thinking. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, thanks again, as always, for coming and hanging out with us here at the Live It Well podcast. We hope that this message encouraged you as much as it has us. As always, we'll have all the links mentioned in today's episode over in our show notes at our website, letsliveitwell.com. And we would love to hear from you. You can find us and follow us on all the social platforms, Facebook, Instagram. We would love to hear what's going on in your life and stay up to date with all things at Live It Well. All right, guys. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. We're going to close it out like we do every single week. It's great to be back for a season, and it's great to be saying this again. So let's all say it together. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it well. well.